part of the math that we did was saying, when we look at these Latino-owned businesses, if these businesses were to reach parity in terms of scale, how much additional revenue would there be that would be generated? More businesses, larger businesses, and the number's over $2 trillion. That is a massive number. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is a podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Welcome to 2022, mi gente. There has been a lot of chatter late last year about the great resignation, meaning people quitting their jobs in record numbers. Why were so many black and brown folks mostly impacted by the economic fallout from COVID? And why are we not talking about wealth creation for our communities moving forward? Latinas and black women have had the most financial setback during COVID, and it's time we ask for higher wages and level up our skill sets. Latinas and black women are creating more businesses. It's a fact. We're going to get into that in this podcast. We have the greatest opportunity to create jobs. And right now, we are at the great reset of 2022. We want to bring you business information, higher education, financial skills building, and thought leadership in your industry to help us build back communities that can rise together. So today, let's make that happen. Joining me in this show is McKinsey and Company Consulting Senior Partner and former cancer researcher, Lucy Perez. So today, she's dropping knowledge on our podcast where our communities can create pathways that will help us rebuild and align to a new American economy that can help us gain back what we've lost during the COVID era. Welcome, Lucy, to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. I'm so excited that you have come to the show and we're going to start the new year, as I like to say, in beast mode. We're going to be in beast mode this year, all comunidad, everybody coming together. I'm really excited about what 2022 is really going to do for us, especially Latinas in the space, which is why you're here. And all the points that we'd like to discuss with you today about economic growth and opportunity But before we get started, Lucy, I just want you to tell us about yourself and where are you today? Thanks so much, Teresa. It's really wonderful to be here with you today. And I so appreciate the opportunity to come on and and connect with you and the audience today. I am talking to you from my beloved homeland, Puerto Rico, where I came for a few days of sunshine. But I am originally from Puerto Rico. I grew up here until I went to college. And so when I was 17, I had the opportunity to go to Harvard University. So that was my first encounter with Boston. And it was, you know, quite a different environment than what I was used to, but um, definitely found a, a great set of friends and mentors. And that was the beginning of my Boston adventure. I ended up getting a degree in chemistry. I've always been very passionate about human health innovation and how we can, as a society, have better treatments for patients. For me, it all begins with a healthy body and a healthy mind as a foundation. And so after I got my degree in chemistry, 
I stayed at Harvard to do a PhD in chemistry as well. And after that, I decided it was time for a change, um, moved to New York. So just a little bit warmer than I was used to in Boston. And just a little bit of a brain break, let's say, from Harvard. You're like, I think I want a little fun, so I'm going to move to New York. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, a lot more Puerto Rican restaurants to go check out. for sure, for sure, for sure. And yeah, so that was the beginning of 17 years that I lived in New York, the first three of which were as a research fellow at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Nice. Which was a wonderful place to see in action the the impact that medicines can have on, on people's lives and their family and loved ones. And then in 2007, I had the opportunity to join McKinsey, which is the largest management consulting firm. What? <laughs> and I joined the healthcare practice. And so today I am a senior partner in the healthcare practice. I also have a chance to work with my colleagues around how we help accelerate the path to market for new innovations and develop solutions to that more patients can benefit from those innovations. I also have the distinct pleasure of being the sponsor for our Hispanic Latino Network at McKinsey. It is a community of more than 500 consultants across North America. Wow. From all over, right? Uh, There's some of us like me born in the States and Puerto Rico, others that come from Latin America or from Spain and Portugal, but a very tight community. And we are very focused, I would say, on one hand, on thinking about how we attract, develop, and retain the best Latino talent for our firm. And the second part of it is really, how do we advance new knowledge and insights that can help create more economic opportunity for this community in the U.S.? Wow, that's a lot. And I just have to share with you that the healthcare industry to me is extremely important because if you have a healthy community, you have access to healthcare, you have access to certain medicines and treatments, everybody starts to understand the benefits of what that means to society. I mean, we're still here in the pandemic a little bit. It's going to be the endemic. And it's just how do we keep working through that based on just a lot of things. So the one question I want to ask you right now, Lucy, is how did you start that journey? Yes. And for me, I think my journey, as for many others, started looking at my parents. And my dad, for example, was, I call it a serial entrepreneur. He opened a couple of businesses all in the food industry a restaurant first, a bakery, a catering business. And frankly, I learned all about math and numbers from him. And, you know, from an early age, whether it was helping as he was doing inventory. And my mom was someone who always had a a passion for, for helping others. And early on encouraged me to volunteer at a local hospital in Puerto Rico. And for me, it was just very eye-opening, right? As as you're spending time in a hospital, just seeing the suffering, right, um, of, of those patients, of their families, caring for them. And that's really, that drew me personally to medicine and the idea of how do we help address those needs that patients and their families have. What was interesting in doing this is I also very quickly realized I didn't want to be a medical doctor myself. The thought of working in an anatomy lab and with a cadaver, <laughs> it was it was just not me. 
but I quickly discovered studying chemistry was a way of being very close to medicine and having an impact in a way that fit me better. So that was the origin for me. And I mentioned to you that I then worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center many years later. And what was interesting to me were how many similar things I saw between the two institutions, the small hospital where I volunteered in Puerto Rico and this top-notch cancer center. Wow. It's the humanity, right? It's like, that's what joins us all, right? That desire to have our loved ones have access to the medicines or to the treatments that will help them have that better outcome, that they can then spend more time with their loved ones, that they can be more productive in pursuing their passions, their jobs. And so that's part of what motivated me. When I got to McKinsey, I just got very excited about our mission as a firm. We talk about wanting to help our clients strive sustainable, inclusive growth, right? And this is about how do we all contribute to an economy that works for everyone? How do we ensure that it is sustainable, right? That it'll be here for generations to come. And so a lot of the work that we do with our clients really has this at the center. How can we support those sustainable, inclusive economies? Yeah, it's been tracked a lot through academia, especially over here in a little place called Stanford. Those people in the West Coast. <laughs> I know, these people, I don't know, over at Stanford, they just have some great economic reports over there, especially around the Latino community. So what I saw, and this is in relation to your path, and then also this report that we're going to get to that you did is how do we build the pathways? How do we understand where the gaps are? And then how do we bring our, I call it our community superpowers together to really enhance and enable everybody in this next few decades of the growth that will happen with Latinidad in the next few years or decades? And the report that you did at McKenzie is the economic state of Latinos in America and the American dream deferred. And what I really appreciate about it is that it is talking about the key areas that will bring us all hopefully together to understand where can we fill the gaps. So what do you think the biggest takeaway is from the report that could help build that intergenerational bridge of wealth creation and stability because it takes two to tango as I like to say wrong country but you know what I mean <laughs> as someone who loves to tango I oh, <laughs> awesome. so when we got started on this right we just kept hearing and saying Latinos are the economic engine of the U.S. but we really wanted to understand what does that mean right where are they working how much money are they making? How are they generating wealth? How are they transmitting wealth from one generation to the next, right? Are they living the American dream? And what was interesting as we started looking at the data, you see a lot of very positive indicators. I mean, we talk about entrepreneurship because that is one of the defining characteristics of this community. I love to quote, did you know one in 200 Latinas is opening a new business each month? Those are remarkable numbers, right? It's phenomenal. It yes. is. 
you see a community that has higher labor force participation, right? A community that on average is younger than other demographics in the country. And so these are all very positive indicators. But what they often hide is just how fragile the growth is. And so I would say the big takeaway from this report is the massive opportunity we have for a stronger American economy by getting this right, especially at a time as we are now 18 months as we heard of COVID more regularly. With so much economic uncertainty, understanding that here we have a community that if the right actions are taken, the right investments are put in place, we can unlock a stronger economy for America. We can talk about how to create more than 6 million jobs coming out of these Latino entrepreneurs. Today, these Latino entrepreneurs are creating businesses at a higher rate than any other demographic in the U.S. But when you compare the average size of these Latino-owned businesses with those of non-Latino white businesses, they're only about 53% in size. So it's about half the size. So they're very fragile. We know that they have difficulties accessing capital. For example, 72% of Latinos rely on their own savings, on the savings of family and friends. Even worse, sometimes relying on high interest credit cards. Right. These are things that put them at great financial risk if the business doesn't pan out, as opposed to other groups that have a higher degree of participation or getting loans from financial institutions, for example. And so part of the math that we did was say, when we look at these Latino-owned businesses, if these businesses were to reach parity in terms of scale with white-owned businesses, how much additional revenue would there be that would be generated from this more businesses, larger businesses, and the number's over $2 trillion. Right. That is a massive number. Yes, it's completely overwhelming. And that's such a economic buying power that could contribute to so many different industries. Exactly. And so for us, right, when we were taking a look at, at this story, one of the things that we wanted to understand is what's also driving this, right? And are there opportunities from more investment in some sectors. One of the interesting findings is that 74% of all of these businesses are concentrated in six industries. We're talking about retail trade, wholesale trade, manufacturing, construction, for example. And these are sectors that, for example, are not growing at the fastest rates as we may see in other sectors or sectors that don't have quite the margins that other sectors do, like you know, financial institutions, information technology. Right. So it's a combination of factors, right, that ultimately leads to, to these gaps that we see. But where we get excited is if we can address these gaps collectively, right, if we think about the opportunities, both in terms of how the entrepreneurs are able to access capital, where investors are putting their money, right? Like today, less than 5% of venture capital dollars are going towards Latino-owned businesses. When we think us as consumers every day, where we're buying at goods and services for, 
these are all actions that can be taken to create a stronger economy that one that would generate more jobs right. one that would you know there'd be more revenue flowing through the system yep i'm totally on board with all of that the one thing that i do notice and i hear from a lot of community members or when we have discussions about access to capital and when we talk about technology use. So those are like two big things, right? So one of the things is I say, we are the highest adopters of technology. We should be more on product technology teams uh, to help drive that fine uh, fintech, especially since, you know, we have all the numbers right now that we have this economic buying power to share and kind of use revenue to our benefit, but to contribute to the U.S. economy, right? The GDP in general. So, you know, there's a big trust factor, especially with the social unrest that has just happened. So trust is a huge issue right now. One of the things in financial services is, you know, from the 2008 financial crisis, a lot of Latinos were affected by that, right? When we talk about the pandemic and the CARES Act, you know, we were affected by that. The financial institutions are listening out there or folks that are in the industry There's a big trust bridge that has to be built, which right now is why I'm seeing, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this part, especially, is you see a lot of smaller fintech companies coming out, building platforms. There's the new wave of cryptocurrency and NFTs that people are trying to create their own wave of how people can get involved in trading and building financial wealth, which are outside the institutions. So when I looked at the report, I'm like, yeah, no, we're all on board to contribute. But if we can't get a loan because we have no assets to borrow against or we can't get into the SBA because they're not bilingual, where do we go? I think that's a huge critical barrier there. I mean, all around. But I just want to hear your take on that. I know there's a lot of money out there. I think that's why they put a Latina in charge of the SBA you know, under the Biden administration, because it's like, hello? There's indeed something that needs to change, right? And and so as, as we think about what are the opportunities, yes, on one hand, thinking about how to increase that access to capital, both as investors, where those dollars are going, but also as entrepreneurs, where we're seeking capital from. One of the interesting pieces of research that we did as, as we were looking at this data was just understand what were the barriers at times in, in looking for capital. And what we found was that for Latinas in particular, there was a sense of not feeling sure that they qualified, even though credit scores and other factors being equivalent, that confidence in the ability was not as high as it was for Latino men. It's not as high as it is, for example, for for white men. And so that is one of the areas. But you made a reference, you know, more broadly, as we think about, for example, the stock market, that has been a, a huge source of growth for many families. But for example, less than 5% of Latino families own stocks of any kind. So if we think about the growth of the last decade in the stock market, that's a very narrow pool of Latino families that have been able to benefit from it. And so there's a real opportunity to strengthen financial literacy and inclusion for this community. It is thinking about 
financial services, are they accessible in the locations where these communities are living? Yeah. That was one of the pieces of data that we also found in the report that you have many Latinos who are not living in a community with access to those financial goods and services, who do not have the opportunity to build a trusting relationship with a financial advisor, a counselor who can advise them around what steps to take, where to what kind of financial instruments they could potentially benefit from. This is a great benefit to having you here, Lucy. I really appreciate that. So I do have a question, though, about in the pursuit of a business and how we want to get to that parity of economic stability. I just have to tell you quickly a funny story because LinkedIn is my favorite platform. And I do see a lot of publications there. And one of the things I saw was when COVID hit, they wrote a report about Bloomberg specifically. Hello, Bloomberg. Hello, hello, hello. They wrote a report about how Latinas were economically impacted the most through COVID, which I realized that. But the picture they had on there were Latina maids. So this is part of the problem, right? And the McKinsey report does address some of that, is how we're represented through certain lenses and institutions and how we're seen in low-paying jobs and how we're not represented in wealth creation where we're educated. And yet Latinas have the highest education growth percentage year over year in master's and now it's even growing in PhDs. So thank you for that, Lucy for bringing that number up. So this is the thing, is that when the media is representing Latinas in different, not in these strong positions of power or bringing just the lens of that we're not wealth creators, and you do bring that up about representation in certain industries where that's creating also a barrier of how we're represented in industries. Yes, and let me talk about Latinas and the impact of COVID. And I will focus actually on Latinas in the corporate world, because I think that's also like an interesting take, right? And we have several of my colleagues do this research called Women in the Workplace. We are on the seventh year of that research, and this is the largest look at women in corporate America. It's a partnership with leaning.org. And What the findings from this year's report were, Latinas were disproportionately impacted during COVID for a multitude of factors. One, they were more likely to know someone or have to care for someone who suffered from COVID than other groups, right? And this ties back to the greater disproportionate impact that we saw of COVID hitting Latino communities. Two, they found themselves often with less flexibility in their jobs in being able to accommodate the work demands and the family demands. And also Latinas tend to carry a higher burden of home responsibilities as well. All this led to Latinas leaving the workforce in higher numbers than other groups because of this impacts. And so when we look at the story of the impact of COVID on Latinas, it's not a good one because here you have this very hardworking, ambitious, entrepreneurial women yes, who are bearing this disproportionate burden from caring for family members, 
finding themselves oftentimes with less flexibility at work to accommodate that and not having a strong support network at work to help them work through this. And so this is a real need for organizations to think about how to create this inclusive environments, provide and support to keep key talent in the workforce. Right. I think that if the wealth creation is going to happen, we have to be acknowledged as wealth builders that we are a sustainable and I want to say it's a trustworthy economic group that can really move the dial. But just to bring it into numbers, when you say two trillion, when I was talking about our spending power before, it was 1.7. And I think after the census in 2020, people really see the numbers now, right? It's from 2010 to 2020. And you and you mentioned that in the report too. But the numbers are significant. And I think this is a really great time for a lot of folks to see if they can turn a side hustle into a business or how do we create new products and services for our community? And then what's the next level? And that is access to financial capital to help us get there, right? In education and technology. And now we're going to take a quick break. Did you know that 60% of products mentioned on a podcast actually get searched for online? What does that all mean? What does that mean to you as a small business? It means that podcasts can reach a target audience that you may not have considered. And you could be missing a potential channel to get your business found and to sell more products or services. So if you'd like to learn more about how you can use podcasts as a marketing tool, go to latinasb2b.marketing and sign up for our newsletter where you can get information on workshops and online seminars. Gracias. So Lucy, welcome back to the show. I know we took a little break there because one of the things that we want to talk about now, right, when we talk about wealth creation and there are certain folks that are moving into the entrepreneurial world, we also have to talk about our essential workers really have been carrying this whole economy. So I guess my question to you is in the report, when you talk about the consumerism and workers and wages and the disparity, can you elaborate a little bit more about that? Because there's a big contribution from those wonderful folks out there. And I want to know how we want to get them to the next level in building wealth creation. Is there an opportunity for them to do it? Seriously? Absolutely. Because here's the story with Latino workers. This is a large share of the American workforce, right? We're talking about 17% today. But when you compare that to what share is the Latino community of the wages in the U.S., that number is only 12%. And so when you take a look at what does this mean, it means that 39% of Latinos are making less than $30,000. When we look at Latino workers in aggregate and look at how much they're getting paid for, for the jobs that they have compared to the non-Latino white, we're looking at a gap that is close to $300 billion. Well, I know, a, it's a big number, right? Yeah, that's a big number. And what's really remarkable is like half of that gap is attributed to 4% of the occupations. And what it means is that in those 4% of the occupations, Latino workers are less represented 
or they're not making as much money, maybe because they're in a geography that has lower salaries, for example. So there's a lot of factors that go into that. But for example, underrepresented as doctors, right? Like, yes. again, mm -hmm. we think 18% of the population is Latino in medical schools in the US, we're talking about under order of 5% of medical school students. So there's a real need to address those gaps that exist, right? Because if we were to achieve parity, and you'll hear me using the word parity a lot, we're talking about this ability to move more than a million families into the middle class. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we were looking as we were looking at this data was just understand how is intergenerational mobility? And this feels like an academic term, but in plain English, all I'm talking about is are children doing better than the parents, right? Like that's the premise of the American dream, right? Like your kids do better than yourself. And what we found is for Latinos, that intergenerational mobility is comparable to that of whites. So indeed we're seeing on average, the kids doing better than the parents, but it is particularly stronger when you look at the bottom quartile. Hmm. And so if we think about ultimately how we can move these folks who are in jobs that are very low paid, many of them, 45% of them without healthcare benefits from their union or their employer. Right. If that were to improve, that is the foundational element of wealth creation, right? Because yes. ultimately at the end of the day, it's like, what are you generating in income? What are you getting from your savings and your investments? And for example, do you have an inheritance, right? Or some other form of intergenerational transfer? And what we find is that for Latinos, majority of, of the wealth is, is tied to their income. Right. They don't tend to have as much in savings. They're not participating in the stock market and they're less likely to receive an inheritance. And all these factors compound. And at the end of the day, the average wealth of a Latino family is one-fifth that of the white family. Right. If left alone, this is not going to solve itself, right? This is a, an opportunity to for multiple parties that need to intervene here, and ultimately the result would be a stronger economy for all. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. I think in Casablanca, I want to say that hopefully we'll be addressing this. It seems like it will be, but we won't know for quite some time. And I know that with more women on the ground level here, like you and I and everybody that's trying to create their own business, we're trying to create more jobs, hire family members, or maybe even bring more sustainability to grow a community for kids that see the opportunity. And I think you hit something very important, Lucy, about benefits and unions and, and just having the stability because that brings in retirement and bringing, I want to say, just human dignity to people to feel that their contribution to growing a company or a business or having a job is really going to sustain their family and they're not going to get injured and they feel protected. And I think Security and community is huge, right? Having that ability to feel secure. So a couple of things, because indeed, if this were an easy problem to solve, we would have solved it already. It, this is not, you know, right. an easy answer. We can just say, here, we've got the formula. We've just been, you know, too right. lazy to implement it. That's not it, right? Clearly, this is 
one where we need the public and private sector to work together, right? And and what hopefully the report shows is the opportunity if we get it right, right? How, how good this is in terms of helping have that stronger American economy. But this is why, as we thought of what are some of those actions that can be taken, rather than create a list of, you know, a hundred things, there's a few that we really zeroed in on, right? And as I think and talk through them, first is this idea of we know that concentration of Latino workers in those low paying jobs. So how do we think about compensation for that essential personnel, right? The opportunity to, to strengthen that, that, that's clearly one. Given that for so many, the job is the main source of wealth ultimately, it's also about the upscaling, right? And the opportunities to upskill workers and, and the educational paths to those better jobs, right? To those jobs that will create more opportunity. And that is something both for educational institutions to think about, for worker organizations to think about, right? The government, there's room for many to, to explain how we address it. As we think about the entrepreneurs in particular, right? That access to capital. And I think on one hand is the access to capital, but it's also the things that you and I can do every day when we're making choices about where am I getting my hair done? What am I ordering for dinner, right? Like Absolutely. how do we make sure, right? That we're supporting those providers of, of Latino goods and services. And we talked also right up around this idea of like fi- driving greater financial inclusion, right? How do we strengthen that financial literacy, that confidence to to seek out that financial advisor to get counseling? One of the things that we found in the report, and I mean, I could totally identify with it, Latinos, we tend to rely on our families and friends for all kinds of advice. And the networks don't tend to be as strong outside of that group of family and friends. And so thinking about how to create those stronger networks, more diversified to seek that professional advice to help like grow and scale these businesses, for example, needs to be part of the solution. Even like programs having this conversation with you and the, the context that you help make available for others, right? To, to understand the resources that are available and how and when to tap into those resources. Yeah, I'm totally supportive of all of that. I think, again, it comes down to trust, right? I think the reason why we ask our tias and our cousins and our comadres, you know, down the road is like because we trust them or we see something very positive that has happened to them. So that's, a, that's an interesting take on it in my in my own mind here, but, you know, coming from tech and, you know, I, I, I've seen it all. <laughs> Indeed. But I'm sure you've benefited from connecting and, and talking with others who may not have been your natural immediate network, right? And, and thinking about how to all of us expand and strengthen our own networks. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I talk about all the time about how certain people have given me opportunities code switching and survival mechanisms just from how I grew up. I mean, yeah, there's opportunities. But, you know, when I was started working in tech and there was a 401k, I make a joke. I'm like a 401k. What? What is that? Like, oh, I got to I can save money and it can grow. And there was nobody in our family that really did that. So I learned a lot from that. And yeah, it does take that. But 
When you get into those environments, it's always good to ask the question. A lot of the companies do provide a financial advisor for you. Once you do start to save money, because they're looking at you as a wealth creator and they say, hey, there's an opportunity here for you to understand more of that because we want you to stay with the job and hopefully you like the benefits you're providing to you. So, I mean, and I've helped my family too along that way, but it works, but it has taken me a long time, Lucy. It really has. And I guess part of this podcast too is to help the younger generations coming through that it doesn't have to take this long, right? With all these communication channels that are available to you now, how you can scale up your skill set, how you can educate yourself, find resources and what you want to do. This is a part of it. And I think this is a great opportunity of what you're doing and coming to this platform. Thank you very much. I'm really appreciative of that. And sharing this because it's very important. You know, it's like, how do we build it back? Right. So I think it's amazing. Exactly. Our intent with this report, right, was to to bring an objective fact base to the table, right, so that we could indeed go back and answer those questions of, you know, how are Latinos making money today? How is that translating into wealth creation? What does that mean for the transmission of wealth from one generation to the next? And again, it's a story of growth. It's a story of of growth, but it's going to need some nurturing, right, because we will not achieve parity without some interventions. But the good news is, if we achieve parity, we have a stronger economy, a lot more jobs, a lot more families in the middle class. And that is good news for this country. Right. So I'm going to close it up here with anything you'd like to say about the report or about your journey. I think it's amazing you had that experience and here you are providing this information and wanting to share it with community. Well, first up, a huge thank you to you, Teresa, for having me on the podcast, right? But I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and share some of the things I get really excited about, right? And and I hope this report helps folks see the opportunity available. But on a more personal note, what I would say is I have benefited tremendously throughout my career from the mentorship and sponsorship of others. So that criticality of investing in those relationships, of also being transparent around what am I looking for? What's the help that I need? What I find is oftentimes folks are ready to help. They're not mind readers. And so it is how to help make those connections and and paying it forward, right? Absolutely key. So I hope that this report helps shine a light on the opportunity that is available if we get it right on a more individual level, really highlights that the actions that we can take to achieve that vision of parity are things that we can all contribute to starting today. There's actions that we can take on a daily basis to help move towards that parity scenario that we paint a picture of that ultimately results in that stronger American economy for all. Right. Thank you, Lucy. That was amazing. Gracias, Lucy. And gracias, mi gente, for listening to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Again, always subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast, but also follow us online on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. Get the most recent updates on information that we'll be posting for online seminars and workshops, as I mentioned earlier. If you'd like to know more information regarding this amazing report, The Economic State of Latinos in America, The American Dream Deferred, 
that Lucy co-wrote with her colleagues at McKenzie & Company, you can go to our website at latinasb2b.marketing so you can download that report or you can go to mckenzie.com for more information. This podcast was edited and co-produced by latinasb2b.marketing, Teresa E. Gonzalez, and produced podcast, Robert Lopez. Gracias.